0: Let's pray. Lord, our prayers always begin with thank you. We come into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. We have gathered together this morning to do just that. Our very assembling together is a statement of gratitude to you. And so we have made an attempt frail as it may be this morning to express our gratitude uh, our our thanksgiving to you for who you are what you've done what you continue to do in our lives we pray that everything we've done this morning every facet of worship we've expressed and we've expressed many would be pleasing in your sight. And we also pray that during this time when we open up your scriptures, uh, that you would anoint and open our eyes to see the truth of your scriptures and that each person would hear something from you today. I pray that you would help me this morning to, to expound on your word to handle it properly, and to say the words that you would put in my mouth. I pray for every one of us to have hearing ears. We thank you for this time, and I pray in your name, amen. Yes, uh, um, we do, referencing once again, the, the Brother Charles getting his heavenly promotion, um we do grieve. right to grieve. proper to grieve. Scripture says we just grieve, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And, and so we, you know, we know that, uh, our brother, our, the words have been used, spiritual father. Somebody, I think Scott Legg told him one time that he was a spiritual grandson. Brother Charles looked at him funny. I don't have any spiritual grandchildren. (laughs) By the way, God has no grandchildren either. Anyway, uh, life will move on, and our lives are better and will be better because of the investment of Charles Simpson. Not only our lives, but in this congregation. Some of you have heard me say, I'm not going to repeat the circumstances. In my personal opinion... Had not he intervened 20, over 20 some odd years ago, standing right here, there would not be an abundant life church today, in my opinion. It would have went by the wayside. But as a, as a spiritual father and as we, he would never let us call him an apostle, but he was apostolic in his ministry. He, he functioned that night and for years afterwards as an apostolic leader for Abundant Life Church, and myriads of other churches around the world. And that investment has not gone away. That legacy is still here. That influence is still here, and it will be for eons to come. Someone said to me recently, a, a lot of people, when they're looking for Kevin, heroes, heroes, They're looking for, and you know, I don't hear this the wrong way, but they're looking for someone who has a mega church, someone who's built up a 25,000 member church. And when you look at the leader of that, then that's a hero. And they may very well be, but that's not what makes them a hero. But someone said to me recently, if you could count, if you could count the numbers of human beings that Charles Simpson has influenced and touched, either directly or indirectly, around the world, uh, no one No one would exceed that, let's say it that way. There are a lot of other people who do the same thing. But the influence that this man had... In 1979, we had a conference in Mobile, just, just a conference for those who were connected to us, so to speak, and 10,000 people showed up. That's just in 1979 and that was just people basically from the United States and it was a, it was a sign to me of the influence that he and the brothers that he was connected to had influenced the lives they had influenced around this country so let's honor the legacy of Charles Simpson by keep on keeping on Amen. by keep on moving forward it's interesting that today i'm speaking on building in the face of opposition and here's a man who faced years of severe opposition and, and, and really enemies. Um, and so we find ourselves at the book of Ezra, uh, and we're calling it part four. And we, last week when we, or two weeks ago when we left off in chapter three, uh, we saw the elation of the Israelites over the completion of the foundation, just the foundation just the foundation caused them to get all excited and they were thrilled i mean they were singing you know blessed be god and then in chapter 4 which we'll read in a few moments we immediately go from from uh excitement glory to a downer <laughs> we immediately we see their adversaries or their enemies It says the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin arrive on the scene. It's interesting that the scripture says they heard, and again, we'll read it in a moment. They heard that they were building a temple to the Lord, God of Israel. Building a temple to the Lord, God of Israel. Those dastardly people. And what we'll find as we move on, and it may take us a while, but our intention here is to get through Ezra and move right into Nehemiah. But from here to the end of Nehemiah, there is and there will be, and we will see a continual opposition to the building of both the temple and the city. Can you say continual? It will never go away. In our world, in our time, we are being built into a holy temple. You and I and all the believers in the world, all those who have named the name of Jesus, all those who've been born again from above by the Spirit of God, we are being built into a holy temple, built together, everybody say together, Built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And so again, the parallel is there. The New Testament, Old Testament, it always translates into our world. And throughout this series, we've attempted to see how what happens to these people translates to our world. Ezra chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, If you can stand that long, would you please? If you can't, you're not going to bother me. Uh, matter of fact, I may go get me a stool. I know, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to attempt to pronounce some of these names. I purposely did not read this in the New King James, because if you have the New King James, you will find out why. Verse 1, now, this was after the elation over the foundation. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, some of your Bibles will, there will say enemies, heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached as a Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon." king of assyria who brought us here but Zerubbabel and Jeshua or Joshua and the rest of the heads of fathers houses in Israel said to them uh, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our god but we alone will build to the lord the god of israel as king cyrus the king of persia has commanded us then the people of the land discouraged the people of judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, it's easy for you to say, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes... Bishlam and Mithredath and Tabeel and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated, Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai uh, I wish they'd just say Jim Bob and, and John Boy or something. I don't know. And wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rehum the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their associates, this is where the New King James gets interesting, if you've got one, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble, it says O-snapper, or O-snapper, or Osnapper. It, might, it makes me want to go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> For some red snapper. But anyway, that's another. Deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that they sent to Artaxerxes the king. Your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. And they are, watch this line, they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. You can always get to the leaders through the taxes. Now because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from of old. That is why That was why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession, see the word power there, in the province beyond the river. The king sent an answer. To Ream the commander. And Shemshai the scribe. And the rest of their associates. Who live in Samaria. And in the rest of the province. Beyond the river greeting. And now. The letter that you sent to us. Has been plainly read before me and I made a decree and search has been made and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it and mighty kings have been, have been over, have been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province of beyond the river to whom the tribute custom and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease that this city be not rebuilt until a decree is made by me. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahim and shimshai the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of King Darius, king of Persia. You may be seated. Opposition is inevitable. The building of the temple by Israelites showed the desire, their desire, to bring the presence of God back into his city, which was Jerusalem. They, we talked, we covered this in the first few sessions, but they built, they began to build so that they would uh, create this place for his presence. Again, Old Testament, they needed a building, they needed a, a holy of holies for God to come dwell among them in that place. New Testament, we are the temple. The temple today, Is our bodies and the collective of organically joined together people of God. That's where we are today. It also demonstrates to us His continued involvement among His people in purposes and promises. So we see they're seeking His presence and we see His involvement with His people. By the way, that's never stopped. That's never ceased. There's a little bit of uh, of a theology running around out there called deism that basically says God created the world, He put us here, and He took off for another part of the universe, and one day He'll be back, and until then, we're on our own. He's not really involved with us. He just, you know, He's our God, and He's somewhere. The problem is a lot of young people are buying into this. You know, it used to be everybody laugh at deism. And now we got people buying into that. That's another topic for maybe later in this message. But anyway, what we see in this chapter 4, we see a window into how hostility attempts to destroy God's work. But it's inevitable that if you're doing God's work, there will be opposition. These people first tried... Uh, When they first heard of this thing going, they first tried this, we are all together in this. Or, we're all in this together. Let us come help you. And it it seemingly was the same message and goal. Uh, But the point is, they didn't really want to help, but they really wanted to confuse and frustrate the mission, the building. Now, let me just say here, discernment is so necessary because people there are cer- certain groups of people and I'm not going to start naming them today a couple of them are pretty close to us here but anyway uh, they will say things that really sound good man man they must be Christians it must be but but what do you do what do they do and not just the ones I'm thinking about I only have room for two in my mind, so you ought to have to go. What do they do with Jesus Christ? Do they just put Him in the title of their group? What do they do with the truth of Jesus Christ? Discernment is so necessary because just somebody, just because somebody says, hey, we're, we're with you, that doesn't mean they're with you. But let me add this too, and this is one of Brother Charles's favorite sayings. Discernment, or the gift of discernment, isn't the gift of suspicion. Having discernment and wanting discernment doesn't mean we're suspicious of everything and everybody. They said, we worship God as you do. Deception right there. We worship God the way you do. This was not... The discrepancy between the two groups was not a matter of people agreeing on fundamental biblical doctrines and having differences on secondary matters. That, that's very common. I just met last week with a circle full of pastors here in Mount Julia. We get together on a regular basis. And if we had gone around the circle, we could have easily found secondary issues that all of us would have disagreed on. We don't major on those. But neither do we ignore. One year, one time years ago, actually I wasn't in the meeting. Rob was in the meeting. And there were a group of pastors and leaders in the community. that were talking about who to get together with. And somebody said, we need to invite the Muslims. Well, that sounds all well and good. Except the whole basis of who we are is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He's the only way. You know? At some point you gotta recognize that just because somebody sounds good and says good things, you gotta have discernment. And you gotta understand that this is not just somebody having, deg- agreeing fundamentally on biblical doctrines, having secondary issues. This is A violation this opposition is after the heart of the gospel and these guys they were after the heart of the gospel they were not wanting to join with them in the building of these walls but they wanted to dilute the message that was being presented and therefore compromise the mission And our opposition, and by the way, I'll get back to it, but our opposition, while it comes in the form of human beings, our enemies are not human beings. we got to have strategies about how to deal with human beings, but we can't see them as the primary enemy. I'll, I'll come back to that. But when people come to us and they pretend to be a part of us and they want to sidle up next to us and, oh, yeah, I'll help you build, what they really want to do is dilute the message so that they can compromise the mission. And these guys were not having anything to do with that. The heart of the gospel. What do people do with the gospel? Well, these people said, since, since we were brought here, by the king of Assyria, we've worshiped God the way you do. Uh, in 2 Kings 17, I'm, you're not going to turn, but I'll put a couple of verses on this. you can not you want to, on the screen. But it says, at the beginning, <laughs> this is, this is, makes, anyway, at the beginning of their living, at the beginning of their living there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, <laughs> The Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Uh-huh. So you don't want to go to church today? <laughs> have I got a word for you? So the king, he said, wait a minute. We can't have to. You know, they're in God's country, and they're violated, and they're not. They don't fear God. And God said, well, I'll get your attention. The king sent one of the exiled priests back to Bethel, which is interesting because Bethel means house of God, to teach them how to worship God. Lord, help me. There's so many roads I could go down right here. Scripture says, No longer shall you teach people to know the Lord. You cannot teach a relationship with God. You can teach information about God. You can teach patterns of God. You can teach the principles of God and we should do all of those, but you cannot teach relationship. Relationship happens. And you can teach doctrine till you're blue in the face, but until somebody gets it in here, it's just a bunch of information. King went and, I mean, the priest went and taught them. Verse 33 of 2 Kings 17 says, so they feared the Lord, watch these two words, but also. They feared the Lord, oh boy, but also served their own goals and their own gods. After the manner of the nations from among among whom they've been carried away. Yeah, we're going to worship God. we are also going to bring some of this other stuff with us. That we had before. Some of these ideas. Some of these doctrines. What have you done? You've diluted the gospel. It's They demonstrated for us a superficial nature of worship. We have to be careful that we don't, whether it's in this room, a small group, two or three people gathering, that we don't come together with a superficial worship. It says, to this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord. And they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Just come together and everybody love one another. That's all that matters. Isn't that all we got to do? Everybody just love one another. Well, I I want you to love one another. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what love looks like. Former manner. Now, I painted all of that because these people said, since this king brought us from Assyria to here and placed us here, we've been worshiping the same God you have. But they hadn't. And that's why Zerubbabel and the other leaders said, You have nothing to do with us. We alone will build to the God, Lord God of Israel. We, the church, have the mission to build. To build. To build. We have the mission. To present the gospel. We have the mission to to uh, allow God to build us together as a holy temple. We alone. It's interesting. I love what it says. It says, you have nothing to do with us. We alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. Watch this. As King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Now that's strategy. That's smarts. I mean, they're talking. How'd that happen? There's my OCD going crazy again now. <laughs> they're talking to the, and they're, the, you know, Cyrus told us we had to do this. Not the king of Israel, the king of Persia. So we, he commanded us to do this. I like it. Now, we have to point out that as they refuse their help, this is not narrow-mindedness. It's not rude. It's not, they're not being rude. But it's a conviction. So everybody say conviction. We need a little more conviction. It's a conviction that God is to be worshipped in the way he ordained and prescribed, rather in ways which suit us. If we want to worship God in ways which suit us, we will worship God, but we'll also bring some of the former manner with us. Because the former manner is always about us. And in our our world, building for God can only be done on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. By the way, when you see that line build, built together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the foundation there is not the, those men as human beings. But it's the truth that they taught. It's the truth of the gospel that they espoused. Okay, back to my quote. I'm quoting myself, by the way. Building for God can, you don't have to worry about plagiarism when you do that, can only be done on the foundation of the apostles and prophets as living stones, embracing the pure, unvarnished truth that they taught. If we're going to build whatever we're building, whatever we're putting our hands to today for God, we must build on the pure, unadulterated, unvarnished truth of God. And that's what the apostles taught. And that's where the foundation lies. Because I don't care who you are. You don't have to be a bunch of Israelites building a temple, a physical temple. You and I will face opposition. So they say the scripture says they've they sought to discourage them, to the discouragement in the mission. It describes these opponents as people of the land. And they were given to syncretism. Now we've used that word here a lot and I don't use it in very many sentences, and you probably don't either. But syncretism is a mixing. It's taking faith in God, and it's a mixing together of world values and world systems and world ideas, mixing those together and coming out with our own truth that's actually a mixture of truth and untruth. And the people of the land, we saw the verses, they were given to syncretism. And I repeat... The last half of 33 said, after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. And there are people in the church today, uh, hopefully not this church and hopefully not any other churches in our area, but there are people in the church today who embrace a truth mixed with untruth. And they're presenting it as truth. Truth. But I want to tell you that if there's any amount of mixture in the truth of God that we present, it is no longer truth. It said it made them afraid to build. They made them afraid to build. What is it about human beings when we face the first amount of adversity? Opposition that all of a sudden we're afraid to build. It said they sought to discourage them. Discouragement there is an interesting word. It really means, it's actually two Hebrew words, and it means to weaken or slacken our hands. And I'm thinking of Jesus said, someone puts their hands to the plow, don't look back, put hands to the plow, To discourage you and me is to cause us to let go of the plow and to weaken or slacken our hands. And this is what they were trying to get them to do. In their case, they were trying to, in some ways, a physical slacking and weakening so that they would put down their implements, their tools, and stop working. The text there Indicates to us, brace yourselves, that this would be and is a continued and prolonged harassment. They were not stopping. They, as I said earlier, they didn't stop in the text. They didn't stop till the end of Nehemiah, but how many of you know that it didn't stop, opposition didn't stop then? It went on to say that not only were they trying to discourage them and make them afraid to build, but they went to the city, city hall, and they bribed the counselors or the local officials of the Persian court to frustrate their purpose. Anything we can do to stop this thing. Because what's at issue is the distinctiveness of the nation of Israel. And that they were called to be a holy people and a light to the nations. Holy people and a light to the nations. You cannot be a holy people and you cannot be a light to the nations without attracting the attention of the darkness. Are you all awake? I had a spark earlier, but I'm out. I'd pass it around. This means... Resistance to anything which dilutes God's word, or in their case, the Torah, and fails to conform to its standards. In a world of multi-faith, multicultural syncretism and biblical, worldwide, widespread biblical ignorance, we live in a such a biblically illiterate culture in the church. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about in the church, we live in a biblically illiterate culture. And I'm not talking about that, although it's important that people, well, they don't have the verse memorized. You know, somebody said to me, where does it say such and such? I said, I don't know, but I know it says it. And I got 15 Bibles. I ought to be able to find it in one of them. You don't need but one. Biblically illiterate, oh, I'm not chasing that. But in that kind of a culture, in that kind of an atmosphere, we must resist anything that attempts to dilute God's word. I'm not talking about rules and regulations. I'm not talking about being harsh. I'm talking about God is our father. Our father knows best. He's prescribed a way of living. He's prescribed a way of life. And if we follow his prescription, we will be healthy. If we don't, we won't. I mean, I don't know how much plainer I can make that. And then we run into a an an interesting... Y'all don't have anything in in the oven, do you? Okay. I got started a little late, but that was a good thing. We run into an interesting thing in verse 6. The majority of uh, commentators, the majority of Bible scholars, the majority of theologians, theologians that I read say that verse 6 through 23 is actually a future occurrence. In other words, they say the writer, who they, we think is Ezra, said, I'm going to give you some future examples of how this works. Now, you know, the issue is, the thing is, it doesn't matter whether these are future events or not. The point of putting them in here was that we could learn from what happened before. And so verse 6 is one account, and then verse 7 through 23 is the letter to Artaxerxes and all that. I'm not going to go back over all that again, but I'm going to say this. The attempt, and we see in these passages and in this letter, is to marginalize the opponent's of the system of the king. To marginalize is just simply to try to place someone in a position of a minor or marginal importance, significance, or relevance. You don't have to, you don't have to, uh, w- watch much till you discover uh, that the mainstream media and mo- let me say it this way, most of the mainstream media uh, are opposed to Christianity. That's no secret. I remember in 1980 when Ronald Reagan was first running for president, some of the young people said, "Boy, that's ancient." It just seems like last week to me. They did a poll among all of the, quote, mainstream media. And, of course, back then, there wasn't as many as there are today. We didn't have an Internet then. We didn't have cell phones. Oh, boy, I'm getting depressed. Um, <laughs> and, of course, they discovered in the poll that the majority of the people in, the, in what was then the mainstream media were opposed to conservative values and Christian values. Mainstream media is constantly critical of the church labeling us fundamentalist because we proclaim gospel values. And they say we're out of touch as a fanatical minority. Recently, I heard a sitting state senator. I'm not going to call his name, except that he used to be a football coach in the Southeastern Conference. And, uh. He was telling the host of the radio show, He and he was in D.C. as they spoke, he said, I want to tell you what it's like up here. He said, uh, Mike Coleman used to call, uh, who used to own and run Integrity Music, used to call Washington, D.C., 72 square miles surrounded by reality. <laughs> the senator said, in this It's not even a town. But in this district, in this area, I want to tell you that they oppose anything Christian. Everybody up here in this system opposes anything that is labeled Christian. They don't want it heard. They don't want it seen. And they want to marginalize everything. Again, I'm not. Lord, have mercy. I'm never going to finish this message. (laughs) Verse 12 says they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked. Why was it rebellious and wicked? Because they worshiped God. Because they espoused God's value. Why is it they call us rebellious and wicked? Well, one of the reasons is we resist the killing of unborn children. Imagine that. Imagine us being opposed to the slaughtering of unborn children. And because of that, we are labeled wicked. Rebellious. Why? Jesus said, there's a group of kids who came along and they started singing a funeral dirge and you didn't follow along. You didn't play their game. They didn't like you very much. It's the same thing. We are a Rebellious and, um, quotations for those of you listening on the podcast, rebellious and wicked society because we embrace righteousness and holiness. They said they're building a rebellious and wicked city. They're finishing the walls, repairing the foundations. And in verse 13, it says they, with no supporting evidence, by the way, they said the community would not pay taxes. Well, you know, any politician, anybody, when you start getting into the taxes and getting into the not paying of taxes or their money, you got their attention. They were, they're not going to pay tax. They have no foundation whatsoever for that accusation except they knew it would get his attention, and it did. And so the conclusions, and some of these will be repetitive. you just, well, you have to hear something three times before you get it anyway. First of all, God's work, and I've said this, God's work will always encounter opposition. If you're doing God's work, if you got your hands to the plow, By the way, all of us have a different plow. None of us have the same plow. But we all got a plow. And just in case a young person or somebody have a clue what I'm talking about, there was a day when you would plow by putting your hands on two handles, and you'd have a plow blade on the end, and you might have it on wheels where you rode it, or you might have a mule that would pull that plow. And you'd... Till up the ground. Can't believe I had to explain that, but anyway. God's work will always encounter opposition, and God's work will always attract opposition. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, For a great door is open wide for me, though many are in opposition. The Apostle Paul knew it. He experienced it. I mean, they beat him up and left him for dead. Jesus said, they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. Now, none of us, most of us, maybe none of us, have ever experienced the type of opposition that the people in the scriptures experienced. But we get opposition nonetheless. Opposition comes in many forms. In the case of their, our story, they tried flattery. That didn't do it. Then they moved into lies. Bribery, to bribing the local officials. They appealed to the law and they tried the use of force. I want to tell you that sometimes the opposition to God's, to the building for God, sometimes, many times the opposition is the person looking at us in the mirror. Cause sometimes we're the, you know, we have met the enemy and he is us. Sometimes the opposition is maybe our best friend. Sometimes the opposition is the dropping of our hands and doing nothing or subtlety and apathy or as Barney Fife says, apathy. I can't even say it. In a commentary on Zephaniah, a a Scottish theologian by the name of George Adam Smith wrote this. The great causes of God and humanity are not defeated by the hot assaults of the devil, but by the slow, crushing, glacier-like mass of thousands and thousands and thousands of indifferent nobodies. God's causes are never destroyed by being blown up, but by being sat upon. It's not the violent and the anarchical whom we have to fear in the war for human progress, but the slow, the staid, and the respectable. Sometimes we don't venture out into wherever we're supposed to be because we're afraid of what it might look like or what people might say about us. I'm not advocating intentional antagonism or or just doing something for the sake of antagonism. But what I'm saying is, if we need to move into an area or do a certain thing, we cannot spend much time worrying about being respectable. We've lost that already. Here's the most important part of the whole message, I think, and that is understanding the source of the opposition. Again, most of the opposition that the church faces today comes through the, the, the vehicle of human beings. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes, people are are pawns. Yes, people are vehicles by which the spiritual forces of darkness operate through. Yes, some people are complicit in the being opposing God and God's righteousness. But the people are not our enemies. We have to have strategies like they did. Hey, we're not going to build with you. You know, you don't have anything to do with us, which meant they don't we don't have anything to do with you. You're not going to be. But you have to remember that at the end of the day, it's not everybody say not Not. flesh and blood. Interestingly enough, in verse six in Ezra, it says they lodged an accusation. Lodged an accusation. Here's what's Interesting. The word for accusation in the Hebrew is the word sitnah, S-I-T-N-A-H, which is derived from the Hebrew verb Satan. There was a Hebrew verb Satan before there was a noun for a person or a thing, angel. So when he says they lodged an accusation, there's more there than just opposition. There's darkness. There's sinister. There's evil. Why? Because the kingdom of darkness cannot allow the kingdom of God to gain ground. The Hebrew word Satan, it means to attack. To accuse, to slander, to harbor animosity towards someone, and to be an adversary. Sidna. It reminds us of Genesis 3.15, where God speaks of the undying hostility of the serpent to the people of God. It's what Ephesians 6.11 calls the devil's Schemes. It's coming from people, it's coming from news organizations, it's coming from media, it's coming from friends. (laughs) But the source of all of that, here's the key, the source of all of that is the devil's schemes. It's the sitna. It's the accusation from the devil himself attempting to marginalize the church. And what is he after? He's after the gospel. That's the child in the bassinet that the devil is seeking to rob from us. I want to remind you that the gospel does not give us, does not bring power to us for salvation. The gospel does not instruct us about salvation. It does, but that's not the primary reason. The gospel Everybody say is. is is the power unto salvation. The gospel, and this is Romans one sixteen. If you are taking notes, the gospel is the the power. The gospel is. I don't know I am beating this home. I said you had to hear it three times. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which is why the enemy wants it so much. Why he wants to rob anything, any opposition we face as the church or as individuals as followers of Jesus Christ. It's always about the heart of the gospel. He uses accusation and he uses discouragement to try to stop us from building for God. Sadly, as Rob pointed out last Sunday. Sadly. By the way, if you're inter- if you're interested in the future thing, six through twenty three being the future, verse twenty four, most of those same theologians believe that when it says then the work, then the work, now it, uh, the writer goes back to the present time. Again, it doesn't matter one way or the other, but it does say, then the then the work on the house of God, that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of, of Darius, king of Persia. Darius came uh, before Artaxerxes. Nevertheless, the work came to a standstill is the key. See, some of that stuff stuff's interesting, but please don't get bogged down in it. Came to a standstill. Until. I like that until part. The problem is, of course you're getting you're about to go to sleep and get hungry, but the problem is we we can't get past it until today. Next next week we'll deal with the until, but until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia, but the problem is they stopped work. So the discouragement worked, the accusation worked, everything the enemy had tried worked because they got afraid They dropped their hands and they quit doing what they knew to do to build for God. What have you dropped? What is it that you have ceased putting your hands to that you know God has called you to do? Now, let me hasten to add. Uh, We're we're not talking about a worldwide ministry, not talking about getting on TV, not talking about anything visible necessarily. People get so intimidated when we start talking about this because they think we're trying to get them to start this, this big ministry. No. What is it? What is it? What's the little thing that God has called you and told you to do that you're not doing or that you were doing and you stopped? You ceased because of opposition, because of an adversary, because of whatever you faced. What is it that you have ceased? I want to tell you today, put your hands back on the plow. God will help you. I I understand. I mean, I, I resign every Monday. Nobody but my wife knows about it, but I resign every Monday. I understand wanting to quit. I've quit so many times. Maybe I'll get a signing bonus if I can, anyway. But the, but if you put your hands back on the plow, you'll find God's hands there with you. And have the courage to say to the enemy, you, you don't have anything to do with us. You don't have anything to do with me. We alone will build the house of God. We alone being the church of the living God. And we will embrace the veracity of the gospel and not allow it to be diluted. Could you say amen? amen. I knew you was awake. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you have said more than I have. And I pray that this word has found itself into some fertile ground. That we as your people would continue to build, continue to apply ourselves, continue to keep our hands upon that plow in whatever field it is you have us moving so that we could see the advance of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that we would see people's lives change because as they hear the gospel of the kingdom of God, that they would be introduced to you, the king of that kingdom. So help us, Lord God. Help us to resist the opposition. Help us to ignore the accusations. Help us, Lord God, to, to see that our adversaries are not our primary opposition, but that the enemy, the devil, who would seek to rob us of the truth of the gospel and fill our mouths with the gospel that we would might engage with those around us and just share with them the simplicity of you coming into the earth as one of us and then dying in our place and then being raised from the dead by the power of your Holy Spirit and ascending back to heaven so that we might have life in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We pray for your grace. We pray for your strength this morning. I pray in your name. Everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be dismissed.